Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Just is sponsored by Citrix Meeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting gotomeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. It's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The 1970s were an itchy shirt. An itchy shirt and a bowl haircut. They were a bummer. America was clearly in decline, the world was dangerous, and I as a little kid had trouble making sense of things that were going on with adults. Like this one TV show, Eight is Enough. I did not get the show. I did not see why sometimes as this family, which didn't seem any funnier than my family, just bigger, why sometimes this family evoked laughter. From who? Where was the laughter coming from? Here's what I mean. In this scene, Tom Bradford's three daughters, or three of his daughters, enter his study trying to convince him to coach little brother Nicholas's baseball team. Dad, Tom Bradford, was trying to write his newspaper column, pay close attention to the weird noises that occur at a couple of points. Noises like, ha 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 ha. Oh, no, no. I get plenty of exercise. Just watch how vigorously my, my head revolves around my neck. Hey, Dad! Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were busy. Well, don't, don't worry about it. I mean, uh, what's the difference? Just because my column may become a blank page, please don't let it bother of you. Now, listen, the girls have already talked to me about it. I don't care what they talked about. I just wanted to tell you this good idea that just happened to come to me. Oh, I suppose you couldn't happen to just save it till tomorrow, could you, please? Nope, I would forget. I was thinking what a good idea would be to put extension phones in everybody's room. (laughs) That was laughter. That was not funny, but it was laughter. I could not understand this. I got that sitcoms had laughter. They had moments that were clearly meant as punchlines. To wit, I'm coming, Elizabeth! Funny, reliably funny. But Eight is Enough was an hour-long drama. I thought mostly a family drama that happened to have a laugh track. Love Boat had a laugh track, but it wasn't grounded in reality. I bring this all up because the dad from It Is Enough, Dick Van Patten, has died. Dick Van Patten also launched a line of successful pet food that I feed to my favorite cats. And even though he's only the second most famous Dick Van anything to star as a dad who was a writer in a beloved American TV show, isn't that weird? Dick Van Patten definitely led an interesting life. And do you know that Eight is Enough was based on the books of a former CIA agent turned journalist, Tom Braden, who went on to be the founding host of Crossfire? It's crazy, right? 
on the show today, I spiel about the Pacific Trade Partnership. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I th- I'll make it interesting. I'll quote statistics, but I'll make it interesting. But first, dads taking a stand, making a case, inspiring a long subtitle. It's a portrait of the happiness that we feel and When Marissa Meyer, CEO of Yahoo, gave birth, she took two weeks off, cause for debate. When any of the 474 male CEOs of Fortune 500 companies had a child, well, who even knows if if they took any time at all? And that's the point. Issues of family leave or working families do say family, but the shorthand for families has been mothers. Fathers, though, in real life are not only doing more than they've ever done, they want to shoulder even more childcare responsibilities, but the workplace is notoriously recalcitrant. Josh Levs argues in his new book, more sensible workplace rules for moms and dads would help moms and dads and workplaces. Josh Levs, CNN correspondent, former NPR guy, is the author now of All In, How Our Work-First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Hello, Josh. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome to be here. It really is a organic book because it starts from an experience that it was no stunt. It was something you went through. And why don't you tell us about what circumstances were facing you there at work when uh, your wife got pregnant with uh, your daughter? Yeah, I mean, square one here is that I was already covering fatherhood at that point, you know, and even there, just having segments with dads on the air on CNN and, and writing columns online, the responses I was getting were always just out of this world amazing, like disproportionate to what I thought they'd be, because it turned out in mainstream media that really wasn't happening a lot. So here I was covering fatherhood, and then I ran into what you're talking about, which is suddenly I was the dad in the news. And the story there is that my wife um, was pregnant with our third child, and uh, we looked at what was going on in our family, and we realized that I would be needed at home and after her birth, our daughter's birth. And to us, that was just a completely legitimate choice. I mean, having a dad at home as caregiver, why not? But I had this very strange policy that I was under at CNN, and it was a decision made by the the parent company, Time Warner. So under the policy, anyone could get 10 paid weeks to stay home after the birth of a child, except a man who was the biological father when his wife gave birth. So if I gave my daughter up for adoption and some other guy adopted her, he would get 10 paid weeks. Or if we used a surrogate, I would get 10 paid weeks. There were all these scenarios. If I had a same-sex domestic partner who adopted a baby, and I didn't adopt the baby, but it was still my domestic partner's baby, and it was a guy, then I could get 10 paid weeks to take care of that baby. There were all these scenarios. But I, the real me, I couldn't get it. I was going to ask, were you considering saying, well, we'll just say that I'm a, you know, surrogate. Like, what are they going to do, a blood test? I know. People said that. Like, like find a way to legally adopt your own kid. There, there were all these theories about how to get around it. But I was just like, this is ridiculous. So I had gone to them totally in secret, in private. I found out the the protocol. I went to benefits. I said, look, this this was clearly an oversight. You, There's no way you meant to exclude the possibility that a dad in a traditional situation could be caregiver. But they wouldn't give me any answer. And then months went by, still no answer. And then my daughter was born in an emergency, still no answer. And then 11 days later, I'm home holding my four-pound preemie and taking care of my sick wife and my, my two boys. And 
saying, I need an answer. And that's when they said no. So I, I spoke with my attorneys and long story short, I filed a charge for gender discrimination. And that's still pending. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, the, the biggest thing that we were looking for out of it was a new policy. And that happened. Time Warner ended up revolutionizing the, the policy. CNN, Turner, they announced what the new policy was going to be. And it's much, much better for guys like me and for women. Moms who give birth got more time out of this change as well. So the big thing we were going for, that's done. It, it happened. Is it your sense that they had the policy because first in place was the age-old idea, let's give mothers some time off. And then they said, well, we can't discriminate against gay people. We can't discriminate against all these other people who are protected classes. But they never just got around to the fact that they were discriminating against uh, traditional dads. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that when this first happened, I I was assuming that it was just an oversight, that they had started adding all these groups of people who could have access to this 10 paid weeks. And it hadn't occurred to them that someone in my situation might be the caregiver. But when they considered my request and thought about it for a long time and still said no, that's when it became clear that there was something more to it, that, you know, that there is discrimination that's going on here. And what I found when I dug into this book is that this is actually really common. The things that dads are going through in the workplace would amaze most people. And I have stories throughout this book of the kind of discrimination that dads are, are going through. And what I explain is that this is not discrimination against men. This is discrimination against men and women. This backward thinking is the fuel behind our outdated structures that make no sense. So this is something we all need to fix together. Has there been any friction over not just the fact that you filed suit, but that, you know, there were New York Times stories and now I'm sure soon to be a best-selling book where this is kind of the center of it. So here's the thing. With friction, what surprised me is that really my colleagues and everyone at my level was amazingly supportive. I mean, I wasn't surprised that they supported, but I was surprised that they were so willing to be so open about it. You know, I, I went back to work because I had to. I couldn't get the benefit and openly supportive in the hallways, hugging me and kissing me and, and shouting out to me in great ways. So that was awesome. Yeah, but you still have the same job you had in the assignments you've been wanting. Yeah, and this question. is important that people know this, that you have rights. Look, part of what I've learned through this whole experience is that people don't know their rights in this country. They really don't. You know, so I knew, and I talked to my lawyers about this, that when you file a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for gender discrimination or another kind of protected class discrimination, your employer is not allowed to fire you. They're not allowed to recriminate. And my lawyer said, look, they might anyway. It's, it's illegal too, but they might. But yes, I do. I've held on to my job this whole time. And so I am able to say that, look, I, I you know, someone said to me the other day, wow, you really can take on City Hall. You know, this is something that can be done. And yes, you can live to tell the tale. Do you think that the initiatives of uh, feminism to promote motherhood, to promote working women, in any way hurt men? No, I would say based on my experience, it's the opposite. The reason that we are where we are in the fight for equality is that women have spent generations fighting for equality. I mean, look, I grew up on Free to Be You and Me, you know, this album we used to listen to that was all about gender equality. And it was driven by, you know, the women's, what was back then referred to as women's lib, but, you know, women's equality movement. And so I grew up with this true belief that things were equal, that boys and girls could both succeed in the workplace. And then I ran into this and I found that other people are running into this. And what happened is that our workplace never grew up. Our workplace is still stuck in the past. But our mentality, mm -hmm. our fight for equality is actually due in large part to the women who have been fighting for equality. And it's, it's you know, all in is, is in large part about men being a part of this fight now and joining hands with women to advance this to the next stage. Yes, there are so many things so many mommies can do. <laughs> 
to quote for it. It's all right to cry, Mike. Yeah, it takes the sad out of you, I believe. That's right. I don't. I haven't even thought about it in thirty years. It's like, oh my god, it's ingrained in my soul. (laughs) So I've read a lot of data where they try to figure out what is the best, what is the optimal policy in terms of family leave. You're right about a lot of things, but I want to talk about that. And we're never going to get to this place where it is in some Scandinavian countries, but it does seem that. There can be a year of family leave, which actually does wind up damaging the women's ongoing careers just because companies know there's a disincentive. I mean, there are just a few states now that even have any form of weeks of mandatory paid leave. The Family and Medical Leave Act just basically says we can't fire you, but we don't have to pay you a dollar. America and Papua New Guinea are the only two countries in the world in that place. So what do you think is the ideal? What would be the best thing that a company could do or the state could do to mandate how much a parent, either parent should get paid. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we're so far from being able to have a kind of conversation like, oh, is it too much paid leave? Because we got zero. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's pathetic. And, you know, I'll talk to you about the numbers and the policies, but let's keep in mind what's at the core of this. And that is that there are families in this country who are suffering every day. And that's not an exaggeration. They're in this book. They're suffering because they literally have to decide between staying home with a brand new newborn baby and putting food on the table. And it does not make sense. It's bad from the economy. It's bad all around. It's a basic family value. We have public education in this country. We have Medicaid for children. Making sure that a newborn child has a parent at home with it, who for at least a block a week doesn't have to worry about putting food on the table, that is basic humanity, and it's proven now to be good for the economy. So what kind of policy will make that happen? What's happening right now in California and New Jersey and Rhode Island is paid family leave. And what you have, people need to know this, this is not a law requiring businesses to pay people when they're not working. Under these laws, businesses are not required to pay you when you're off. Instead, it's an insurance system. You pay a little bit of money into it. And when you need paid family leave to take care of a child or an elderly parent or a spouse or yourself, everyone can use paid family leave. Every worker at some point is proven. So these policies, um, as they work in, in California, for example, you put in a little bit of money, you get six weeks of paid leave, enough to get by on during that time. There's a national policy in Washington that's been considered in Congress called the Family Act that would give some pay for 12 weeks, and it would be equal contributions by employers and employees. It's just 20 cents for every 100 bucks you make. The total amount would be capped at $237 a year, I believe. It's not much, but when you need it, you would have some paid family leave. This would be a giant step forward. And the key for people to know is that there were business groups out there beforehand saying, this will hurt jobs, it'll kill jobs, it'll hurt the economy. Well, I, I explain in this book, they've gone silent. The Chamber of Commerce, the Society for Human Resource Management, they're no longer speaking out like that because the facts are in. And businesses in California, New Jersey, Rhode Island, they are reporting that it's great for them. And when you look at how this works, of course it is. So, Mike, what we need is to take that principle and make it national. All in how our work-first culture fails dads, families, and businesses, and how we can fix it together, and how I stopped worrying and learned to love the bomb. No, wait, one of those... (laughs) One of those is Dr. Strangelove. (laughs) One of those is a different subtitle. But All In is written by Josh Levs. And Josh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Hey, Mike Pesca, I feel like you and I are are brothers in broadcasting. And I I really appreciate you having me. And when my kids were born, I took three months off for each of them. Some of it was paid. Most of it wasn't. But it's pretty much the most important bonding I did that's still paying off to this day. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that. Yes, that because when you start at birth, it changes the kid's entire life and your balance of responsibilities at home and your connection to them. Beautiful point. All right. All in. In a land where the river runs free. In a land where the river runs free.
time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. Well, don't think about it too long, because you could be getting on Citrix GoToMeeting because it is the smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are, because with GoToMeeting, you could meet from any computer, any tablet, any smartphone without travel expenses or checking into airports or fluids that weigh more than six ounces. Your team can join by clicking a link no signups, no speed bumps, turn on the webcam, HD quality, boom, it's like you're in the room. You can share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time. If you'd like to sign up for GoToMeeting today, and I recommend it, why? It's free for 30 days with nothing to lose. You can have 30 days worth of meetings. Then, on that 31st day when there's a big meeting and you don't have it, oh, you'll want it back. You'll want to click instead of go through airport security with six ounces of fluid. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. And now the spiel, Trans-Pacific Possibilities. It looks like the Senate, having passed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, has laid the groundwork for this landmark agreement to become law. This has been called by Ian Bremmer, author of The End of the Free Market, and more to the point, upcoming just guest. Ian Bremmer said it's the biggest foreign policy legacy of the Obama presidency. That includes normalization of trade. That includes normalization of relations with China. It includes whatever happens with Iran. And on the negative side, it includes the strength of ISIS. But the biggest foreign policy legacy, I agree, and I think the agreement is for the good. I do. Trade, free trade, is the most efficient engine to rise people out of poverty the world has ever seen. And if you care about international development, if you donate to charities, if you work for or just root for the ambitions of any one of these hundreds of NGOs working around the world, know this that the NGOs work may be very, very good. They may be doing great things, but no matter what they do, it pales in comparison to the world-changing power of trade. Now, the arguments against the bill and against the pact have been pretty self-centered, and that's fine. I think it's proper. We want our elected officials to protect U.S. trade if indeed the benefits of trade are a zero-sum game, but I don't believe that's true, and I also don't believe this bill will hurt American workers. I believe it will greatly help some American workers, not just the company, regular workers. And I believe there will be some pain in America, but I'm also unconvinced that the pain wouldn't have been visited upon workers and industries that would have suffered greatly even if the pact were never signed. But you know what? We so often criticized American foreign policy, especially the foreign policy embraced by the Bush administration as fear-based. It's right to say that. I think the criticism of this policy has also been fear-based. We also criticized the foreign policy of the previous administration as imperialistic. We said it was visiting pain upon people in far-off places in the name of the safety of Americans. Well, the same thing's going on with this trade bill. And a big reason is that we do not properly note how powerful trade is. For example, a month ago in the Wall Street Journal, Jason Zweig, he's usually great, wrote an article with his heart in the right place. It was about ways to, quote, help the poor to save more, live better, and find their own way to economic security. 
title was The Anti-Poverty Experiment. The framing device for this whole piece was to show how little we've done so far to alleviate poverty. Starts off with a domestic example, entirely on point. He writes, in 1966, shortly after LBJ declared war on poverty, 14.7% of Americans were poor under the official definition. In 2013, 14.5% of Americans were poor. And that should give us pause. Then he expands his scope. He writes, worldwide in 1981, 2.6 billion people subsided on less than $2 a day. In 2011, 2.2 billion people did. Is it time for a new approach? Many experts who study poverty think so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I got the stats. You say it shrunk from 2.6 billion to 2.2 billion. Well, first of all, that is 400 million fewer people in desperate poverty. So that's something. But realize this. In 1981, the population of the Earth was 4.5 billion. Now it's over 7 billion. So let's restate that statistic. Instead of saying that the desperately poor went from only 2.6 to 2.2 billion, we could also say that over that same time period, the Earth's population, living on more than $2 a day, went from 2 billion to 5 billion people. According to the World Bank, the total number of people living in extreme poverty has dropped in every developing region over the last three decades. If you talk about $1.25 a day, which the World Bank did its statistics on, about 21% of the developing world lived on less than $1.25 a day in 2010. It's horrific. But in 1981, it was 52% of the world. Extreme poverty in India cut in half. In China... 84% of the populace lived in extreme poverty in 1981. Now, about 10%. And it's largely due to trade. Look, I know that it's not a great argument that will convince American lawmakers to vote for a trade pact because it enormously helps the Chinese or the Indians. And by the way, this one, the TPP, doesn't even help the Chinese or the Indians. They're not a part of it. India might become involved one day. But my God, does trade help the Chinese and the Indians and most of Africa and most of Asia and everyone who signs on to these pacts? And it also has helped the U.S. It has. It might not seem so. But without free trade, most economists say we'd be much worse off. There are good ways and bad ways to execute a trade pact. It seems to me this is a good way, a pretty good way. There are good arguments and bad arguments for a trade pact. There are also right and wrong arguments. From a moral stance, the utilitarian notion that a policy that helps the most people do the most, this is a good pact. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Andrea Salenzi with wisecracks and harebrained scheming provided by Joel Meyer and Tom, Mary, Susan, Elizabeth, Joni, David, executive producer Andy Bowers, Abby, Nancy, Janet, adopted cousin Jeremy, played by Ralph Macchio, and, of course, Smarf. Thanks for listening. With the Supreme Court expected to rule on same-sex marriage before the end of this term, join the writers and editors of Outward, Slate's LGBTQ blog, as they discuss same-sex marriage and much, much more live on stage in New York, July 13th. Outwards, J. Brian Lauder, Mark Joseph Stern, and June No Middle Name Thomas will also welcome two special guests, Evan Wolfson, the attorney considered by many to be the architect of legal same-sex marriage, and Ted Allen of the Food Network show Chopped and All-Star Academy. 
Former cast member of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, you know, Ted Allen. He will discuss the state of gay stereotypes in the media. Plus, audience members will get the chance to pose their very own Ask a Homo questions. Be in the audience for Outward Live, Monday, July 13th at City Winery in New York. For tickets, go to slate.com slash NYC Outward. Slate Plus members get 30% off their ticket purchase. That's slate.com slash NYC Outward. On the latest episode of our national conversation about conversations about race, uh, we have three co-hosts diving into a number of subjects, including myself, Baratunde Thurston. Our normal co-host, Raquel Cepeda, is out, but Anand Girdardas is in, and Tanner Colby is with us. We talked about a bunch of things, like such as... Beautiful hafus, The bamboo ceiling. And Everybody Draw Muhammad Day. So check us out at showaboutrace.com or find us in iTunes. 